podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to the AI Premier League Preview Show. It's been a December to remember for Reds everywhere, with Klopp's side winning all eight of their games this month to maintain an unbeaten start to the season uh, and establish a seven-point lead on Manchester City as they head to the Etihad this Thursday. So joining me on the pod to look ahead to this highly anticipated clash, I'm delighted to welcome on AI contributor Mark Roberts and radio producer for BBC Five Live and creator of the Blue Moon podcast, David Mooney. Welcome, guys. Good afternoon. Now, good to speak with you, David. I mean... Um, so much uh, to, to talk about, really, in terms of Manchester City's season. This, I mean, I mean, after a pretty imperious start, I think people were uh, sort of looking at you ominously in, in terms of the the points total you managed to collect last time round, and uh, wondered whether you'd be the guys to actually go there and uh, defend their Premier League title. Um, but after that start, sort of three defeats in your last five games, despite that sort of uh, back to basics win uh, today against Southampton, has seen a uh, seeing the side obviously end 2018 seven points off the top and I guess in an unfamiliar position really um, in recent uh, in recent times anyway in terms of chasing down the, um, an unbeaten Liverpool side so just before we get into sort of specifics I just want to ask you I mean it's been a difficult um, December I mean what did you make of City's performances this month and uh, what's your opinion on sort of the reasons why uh, they had those struggles? It's been um, it's been a weird December, um, and I, I wouldn't like to kind of pin it all on one uh, element of uh, of what's gone wrong for City in the last kind of month. Well, it's not even the last month. It's it's uh, you look at, um, at mid December, they won at Watford, um, and they were they, they were still looking pretty good at that stage. Um, it was only really after that where uh, they had Fernandinho injured, but that came on top of uh, a, kind of a, a string of other injuries or players coming back from from injury. And uh, the games that that you're talking about, the ones where they haven't played well and they've gone on to lose, didn't they? They played they played well at Chelsea up until Chelsea scored, and then after that they didn't really get a sniff. Um, they were okay in the cup at Leicester, and then obviously on Boxing Day against Leicester they were they were they were okay up until Leicester equalised, and then they, again they fell apart. Uh, Crystal Palace at uh, the Etihad was a similar story; they just didn't have any kind of cutting edge. And the problem for a lot of that was that there were too many square pegs in round holes. And I'm not expecting any sympathy for, for City on this because, uh, you know, they, they've spent however many hundreds of millions of pounds to assemble this team. You're not going to get any sympathy for having injuries and, and suspensions and that sort of thing. Um, but crucially, the, the the idea that City have got one of the deepest squads in the in the Premier League is correct to a point. Um, but it's that players cover each other's positions. And so when you have a game where, you know, you, you don't have Benjamin Mendy for a, for a long spell, as, as was City's only real injury problem last season, you're able to bring in Fabian Delph and, and Alexander Zinchenko to cover, and the rest of the team being as good as it was at full strength was was all right to, to, to keep dismantling teams as they did. But as soon as, you know, you've you've moved Bernardo Silva to the wing to try and compensate there, you've got... John Stone stepping up into into the holding midfield role to try and, and um, cover for Fernandinho. David Silva's not there. Um, Kevin De Bruyne is not there. All of a sudden, these these, these fixes where, where where City having to fill in 
there's too many of them at once and it just means that the opposition have got this this opportunity to really get at City and you know let's be honest the, the team that, that City have named in each one of those games was good enough to still win the game but the problem was that you know with the confidence being a bit down and with an, an under pressure from the opposition as they've spotted these little uh, weaknesses and players not quite being as comfortable as the first choice options there when you've got five or six to them at once then starts to spell trouble and ultimately you know City's problems haven't really been the defensive side of things they're still only really giving up one or two chances in the games it's been a combination of the fact that the opposition have scored them chances and City have not created what they're what they used to create in and that's the that, that's a real uh, kind of problem at Southampton they were a lot better although they could still be you know a lot more clinical than they were no of course I mean I- I was cautious there not to sort of overstate. I mean, I think it's um, it's definitely been a combination of factors that soon you have these sort of these struggles, these very rare struggles, of course, as well. I mean, I remember the Chelsea game as well, and I think twenty minutes in, I thought you were going to absolutely batter them, and then of course they end up sort of winning that game two 0 Looks like a completely different result, um, so a completely different performance based on that result. Um, and then the Palace game as well, you've got people scoring, you know, career worldies against you as well. Um, well, that's—I mean—that's the thing as well. You look at, at the goals that that beat City in these games. Uh, the Pereira one at, at Leicester was—you know—it's a—they could have defended it better, but it was—it was a damn good strike. And then uh, Townsend, you know, they, they were saying—we uh, were saying on the podcast this week, you know, uh, 19 times out of 20 that goes over the bar. I disagree. I think 99 times out of 100, 999 times out of a thousand, he skies it. Um, and you know, he's, he's planted it in the top corner, which you know, you gotta say, fair enough, credit to him. It's. Uh, how many times would you see the ball bouncing there and you go, well, if you fancy that, go on, take it, because it's it's probably not going in. And then, lo and behold, it flies in the top mm. corner. No, of course. And I think when those things start to go against you as well, I mean, when, when teams are having, what, two or three chances in an entire game and then, and then having uh, sort of goals like that, Townsend goal that you mentioned there, I mean, I guess it just goes to add on to the, the combination of factors we've been talking about with players missing with injury, uh, you know, feeling like perhaps the luck isn't on your side in, in certain situations where I think... For, for example, Liverpool, despite their sort of really great consistency so far this season, I've been very impressed. We've had our fair share of luck, absolutely, and uh, I think it's something that you definitely need. And it can. I think that that, that I mean that that's a big factor as well. I don't I, I don't want to sound um, kind of bitter and twisted about it because you know the, you, a lot of the time you make your own luck, and the reason why Liverpool have had a lot of good bounces of the ball is they've spent a lot of time in the opposition's penalty area. So yeah. you, you know you, you get your good fortune like that. But there's been like a string of things have really. It's I don't want to I don't want to blame bad luck as the reason why City are you know are seven points off the top of the table potentially ten if they if they lose on Thursday. Um, I don't want to blame bad luck for that, but it is an element of it. Like you said, there's been City have had City have not been able to put in a team this season that has contained Fernandinho, David Silva, and Kevin De Bruyne, three of the uh, the uh, well three kind of key players for City and how they play their game. And you look at how frequently Liverpool have been able to get uh, Firmino, Mane um, uh, and uh, Salah on the pitch. And that's that, that's not a slight against Liverpool. It's just that it's gone in their favour this season. And, and you look at last season, how much of last season did City spend with their strongest team available to them? It was pretty much all the way through and then you saw what they could do. So there's it, it, it kind of comes and goes in two different ways. And I think that that has been uh, that's really been a big issue. Also, you look at some of the uh, some of the key moments in games this season. Um, 
there, there was a couple. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't really matter from from the Southampton game because they they went on to win the game. But there was there was a moment in the uh, in the second half where Raheem Sterling was clearly clipped in the box and it wasn't given. And then you look at some of the decisions that have kind of gone this week, where you know most other weeks would Salah have got two penalties in these last two games? I'm not entirely convinced he would have done. And it, again, it just kind of it, it, it's one of those things where you know one week it goes for you, next week it goes against you, and it just so happens that City have had a few this season that have gone against them. Liverpool have gone for them. There's still a half a season to go, so there's, there'll come a point where that kind of flips round, and that's when we'll see kind of just what this City team are made of, whether they've got it in them to chase down this uh, this Liverpool team or whether Liverpool's lead they've built up is too much. No, of course, yeah. And I think it's um, in, in terms of the uh, the return of penalty pool, as we like to call it, a little bit on, <laughs> on, 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 on Liverpool's side. I mean, I think it was, it's was it been such a such a long time uh, um, since we actually got a penalty at Anfield. I mean, it, it was, um, there have been some real stonewall ones over sort of last season and uh, the majority of this year, and that the fact that these are the penalties that we actually have got in the end, which to me seems a bit sort of um, you know, ones that could go either way for sure. I mean, well, it's, it's daft, isn't it? I mean, there's, I've, I've watched a couple of the uh, Liverpool games this season, and there's yeah. been much clearer fouls oh, in the box than the two that have been given, and they've just not been given. So it's you know the, the, these things do happen, and um, I mean it's the other. I mean, take the take the Everton game as well, for instance, where you know any other <laughs> week Jordan Pickford just touches that over the bar, and. Yeah. You know, in, it's frustrating as from a city point of view to watch that game and just think, why didn't you just touch it over the bar? You can you can defend a corner. You know, you're a professional. You're professional players. If you concede from a corner, then you know it, it's your own fault. You take that over trying to keep the ball in play in the 97th minute or whenever it was. So it's you know a culmination of these factors. I mean, even if uh, even if Everton had got those two points at uh, at Anfield uh, off you, then it, the, the, the only difference really would have been that. Uh, City's collapse in the last kind of uh, what is it two weeks or so uh, wouldn't quite have been as dramatic as it has been, but you know these things uh, these things go one way or the other, don't they? No, absolutely, and I think I think one thing that you you'd already mentioned there, and I think it's it's definitely been highlighted, and of course you returned today, although I thought Southampton did their very best to help us out and, and <laughs> take him out again. Um, Fernandinho, I mean, it'd been highlighted prior to the season as well, I think, with the pursuit of Jorginho, um, just how integral that position was for you know for the system that Pep likes to play and I, I think in terms of sort of the, the work rate that Fernandinho has been getting through this season definitely seems to have shot up as well he's an integral figure in that team really important alongside David Silver of course who returned as well um, but a lot of people were just looking at it and going oh Fernandinho is out so that explains the weakness that um, is there in Pep's system obviously we saw John Stones come into midfield uh, in a couple of those games sort of um, you know, provide a solution or at least a makeshift solution for that. Is it as simple as that? So, or, or do you think that there is perhaps some defensive frailties to this City uh, system that um, you didn't see as much last season? I'm just looking at the goals conceded here. Is it 27 in the entirety of last season? Um, 15 already. It's, it's not it's not dramatic, is it? But um, do you have a feeling that it's, it is personnel or are there some sort of uh, chinks in this uh, this system? I think it's more personnel than than the system. The, the system Guardiola, um, he's changed a little bit from last season, but he's he's not tinkered with it with it too much. The the overriding principle is the same. You know, they they, they lose they lose the ball, they press it back, and that's you know it's it's not a new idea. Liverpool have been doing it under Klopp for 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 some time. Um, I think the the Fernandinho role is an interesting one because um, 
the club really have shot themselves in the foot with this this season. Um, that uh, Jorginho was uh, reportedly City's only target for that position in the summer. Um, obviously, with uh, th- th- there was I-, I don't know how much you know about the the, the actual transfer of uh, of no. Jorginho to uh, to Chelsea. There was it, it was it, it seemed pretty much done and dusted that he'd be coming to City, and that um, that it, all, all that was was left to happen uh, was a signature on both sides on the piece of paper that would that would right. seal it. Um, and then uh, Chelsea came along and, and nabbed Sari from from Napoli, and uh, the Napoli ownership decided that they wanted compensation from, for for Sari leaving. And uh, the quickly clocked on the only way they were going to get that was to add a couple more million onto the Jorginho transfer and have him go with, uh, with him as well. Ask Jorginho where he wants to play, and all of a sudden, you know, does he want to play with the manager that he's built up a great relationship with over the last couple of years? And um, uh, play for him again next season. Well, you can certainly see why that's appealing. Chelsea, uh, th- then it's not a bad destination to go to. Let's be honest. And if you're going to be playing a style of football that that Sari brings, then it's uh, uh, he knows a he's going to be comfortable in the, in in that system, and he knows that uh, he's going to be working with someone that he he, he enjoys working with. Um, and so Chelsea came in with a with a slightly higher offer, and City were then in that position that they were in with uh, Alexis Sanchez again. Do they throw a bit more money at it and get the player they want, or do they back out and not be made mugs of? And ultimately, City decided that whatever they did, they were not going to get the player, so they pulled out of it. And it left them then feeling kind of like looking a little bit like uh, they got a bit of egg on the face and. In a kind of a stoic manner, they almost—it's almost as if they decided, right? Well, we don't need anyone. We're good. We, you know, we 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 won the league with 100 points last season. Why would we need to strengthen this team too much? Mares will do as the only only uh, incoming this season. And then, lo and behold, when Fernandinho isn't there, the the ideal replacement for him in Jorginho in that position isn't there either. And they're throwing in John Stones as a as a makeshift uh, defensive midfielder, or dropping Ilkay Gundogan back, and ultimately neither of them can can actually do the job that Fernandinho does. They're perfectly adequate um, in the position. They can pass the ball around. They can put a few tackles in, win the headers, that sort of thing. Um, but they just don't link the attack with the defence like Fernandinho does. They they don't find those little pockets of space when, especially when Edison's got the ball and he's just looking for that little pass through three or four players, as we saw against Southampton about five or six times in the first half. And they just don't offer the defensive cover that Fernandinho does. And I mean, you know, you know, Fernandinho's 33. It's not a surprise that he's coming towards the twilight of his career for City. So the fact that they haven't gone out and been able to strengthen that position really, really does say... Um, that was a mistake in the summer, and it's a mistake that they've certainly come to live in the last few weeks. The run of form hasn't entirely been down to Fernandinho not being there, but it has been a big factor. If Fernandinho uh, isn't there and City are not having to fill in with uh, no David Silva, no Kevin De Bruyne, for a spell no Aguero as well, then they're probably all right. But suddenly you take out two or three of these players, and the fact that Fernandinho isn't there is a real big problem Mm. for City. No, for sure. I mean, it, it it did seem that way as well because, of course, you've been, I wouldn't say reliant on it, but you you, you could always sort of depend on the brilliance of De Bruyne or the brilliance of David Silva. I, I think you even saw that today with his return, just just the influence you can have on the side um, to perhaps, you know, sort of not bail you out, but you, you you can depend on that quality to sort of get you through games. And Aguero as well, and, and it just seemed that there was, a, there was a period where Fernandinho is not there, neither is David Silva nor nor De Bruyne and Aguero is there, but is is he really there? He seemed to be coming back from an injury and not fully up to speed. And um, uh, despite sort of um, 
Gabriel Jesus grabbing a few goals this month. He's, he's not really looked the um, consistent sort of solution in that in that role for you guys. So yeah, it, it did seem like a combination of things just just, just coming together there. But it, it, it is interesting because I think as as Liverpool fans, I mean, the the transfer policy that we've adopted over the past um, couple of seasons now, it has it has seemed like Klopp is oh look, it's either this player or nobody, and he was certainly criticised when we didn't get Van Dijk initially. That there was no alternative, and it didn't seem to be any. The club wasn't prepared to have an alternative because the manager was so set on one player. I mean, I mean just out of interest, I mean, what, what you've seen of Jorginho um, this season? I mean, do you think he he, he? he strikes me as a player who's got lots of qualities that would help you in that role. But do you think he would have really um, been a, a like for like replacement uh, with Fernandinho? Um, I don't think so, but I think he would have been much better suited to to doing the job than, uh, than John anybody else than, than John Stones. Yeah. yeah, I mean John Stones ultimately is uh, he's a very good ball playing centre back because generally City don't get pressed that intensely yeah. up uh, in that in, in that area. Now I'm not going to say they don't get pressed because there's there's a number of times when teams do fancy the chances and, and kind of put a few players uh, chasing the ball down. Um, and in and under that sort of pressure, Stones has looked fine. But in the centre of midfield, there's a, a, the pressure is a lot quicker and it's a lot heavier. And he he just he, I think his biggest problem is that he's not quite as mobile as Fernandinho is. He's, he's you know he's uh, he's much taller than Fernandinho, and you know he's he, he doesn't move quite as freely as Fernandinho does. And that I mean that's just. Offering himself for those little pockets of space just is not something that comes naturally to him. So, you know, while he might, while City will get away with it when they're playing in the League Cup at, at Oxford United, and he looks quite good there because they you know he's playing against the lower league opposition, doesn't quite work when you've got the the, the high intensity press of Leicester and Crystal Palace going at you. So, I, I think that's uh, that that's an issue. I think Jorginho in that position instead would have certainly been a lot more able to, if not. If he doesn't know where to go, I think I think for for Guardiola to kind of coach that into him over the course of half a season, the season, yeah. it would have been a lot easier. No, for sure. I, I, I think the, the only other obvious sort of areas to look at as well in terms of um, issues that you've had. I mean, you mentioned they're unlucky to be without Mendy uh, for the vast majority of last season. Um, he comes back in at the start of the season. You can immediately see the impact that he's having in an attacking sense. Although I thought defensively, you could also see. It's a player who you know, Guardiola hasn't fully got his he- his hands on yet because there are some some issues there. I think in terms of just just how he handles individual um, situations, but he's out as well now, um, and it's a combination of Delph or Zinchenko who've been deputising there for him. I mean, do you think that's an area? I mean, teams have obviously tried to try to target you in that area as well. Um, would you expect that? I mean, it ties into another question really, but um, people have been talking about whether or not City you know, go into January. In the January window, and look to solve that issue in midfield and um, and potentially at left back as well. I've been under the, under the impression that perhaps you won't do that, just based on you know, perhaps reluctance to to go for alternatives to the players he wants. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, that left back issue, and then whether you're going to try and go into the January market to solve um, any of those uh, issues. Um, I'd be surprised at this stage. Um, City, uh, City no longer kind of do the panic buy. Uh, the last yeah. kind of one, I, the last one I can kind of think of was probably Wilford Bonney, um, where they went in in January and and they were desperate to chase down Chelsea that season. So they again were defending t- defending champions in uh, in 2014, 
Uh, and in the January 2015, they went out, got Wilfred Bonny, and it just didn't work whatsoever. And I think they, they've been stung a few times with January transfers. And I think that kind of that could be part of their reluctance to uh, to, to actually go in there and uh, and make a, a signing in January. Um, although I wouldn't be wholly surprised, just given what, what City have available. I mean, Fabian Delph has been out of form for the last couple of weeks. His, his red card at Leicester was... Um, <sighs> I'd say that the best you could say about it was ill-judged. I'd say worst you could say about it was brainless. Um, he does look like that player at times, doesn't he? Somebody who yeah, has the rash moment in him. And and I, it, it was born of frustration. And ultimately, what it's meant now is that City have got a real problem to solve. Um, let's 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 make everything clear. Um, if Jurgen Klopp does not attack City's uh, left back position on Thursday night. Uh, then he is a fool who is willfully trying to not win the league this season. Um, that it, it makes absolutely no sense for, for him to uh, to pass up that opportunity. Zinchenko is 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 not a left back. He's a he's an attacking midfielder who is left footed, uh, which is why he's been placed there. He gets caught under the ball a lot. He gets caught out position a lot, and it's and, and for someone like Mo Salah, it will be an absolute joy to play against him. Um, Guardiola's other option is to is to switch Danilo out to uh, to that side and play Carl Walker on the white. Well, Carl Walker has been uh, completely out of form for the last few weeks and has been uh, causing all sorts of trouble on 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 the right side of defence. Danilo looks like he's he's coming in to settle that down. Suddenly, throw him onto the left side where he's not on his uh, confident foot and he's not in his strongest mm-hmm. position. And I just I I just really don't see how City can 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 solve that problem of of keeping Liverpool's front three quiet. Um, that being said, that is one game. So they what what City might go out and uh, and do is go well. You know, we have to get through it. It's the way it's the it's the situation that it is. You know that obviously there's there's going to be no sympathy for them. And and like I said before, you don't have any sympathy for a team that's spent as much money as City have. Um, you just got to kind of get on with it and get on with the job. And sometimes that's when teams respond best when they are kind of uh, struggling like this. That's that's probably the, the most optimistic thing I can hang my hat on at this stage. Um, but whether they'll go out and solve it in January is, is another matter. They might take a much more long term view and say, well, actually, this is something we need to get right for this season. Because, you know, if they were to, to beat Liverpool on, on Thursday night, they're four points behind. They're still in with a, a shout at the title race. Whether or not they get a left back is probably not going to decide it. It's probably going to be down to to how mu- how many times they they take their chances on uh, at the other end in the uh, at the pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they lose to Liverpool and they go seven points behind, you're looking at it and thinking, well, actually, maybe they might not claw, might not claw this back. So why not hold back on that decision and, and make the decision after a lot more thought in the summer? So that's that's probably where I'm at with it at the moment. And the other side of it as well is Guardiola generally doesn't make his signings. It's uh, it, it's kind of the uh, the director of football in combination with him, and they'll have lots of meetings and decide who you know who they should go out and target, uh, because that was that was the reason why they bolted at the price for uh, for Virgil Van Dijk. Um, I think it was last season in the January transfer window, mm. and went out and instead they, they spent that money on Laporte and, you know, Laporte's done pretty good for City, Van Dijk's done pretty well for uh, for Liverpool and I think both teams are actually quite happy with their end of the deal on that. No, certainly you have to. I think you're not going to find many Liverpool fans who are who are unhappy uh, having Virgil van Dijk back there. I think he's been yeah, he's been um, incredible since he's joined. In terms of the impact, he's nice to have on the on the rest of the side as well. But um, just to focus on some positives before we actually get on to the actual game itself and then speak a little bit about Pep and how he's reacted to to everything in recent weeks, um, especially the whole narrative around 
I guess, the losses that you that you have had. But um, to the positives, I mean, to the players who have been impressive this season, I think it's I mean, we shouldn't say just because you've had a few losses in December that you've not been incredibly impressive uh, for for large parts of the season so far. Um, who are the players who who have stood out? I mean, there's been a lot more focus on Bernardo Silva this season. It it, it seemed in in De Bruyne's absence and um, Raheem Sterling, of course, uh, forever in the spotlight, uh, um, continuing to prove his critics wrong. Yeah, um, Bernardo's kind of quietened down a bit recently. Uh, he, he certainly started the season quite well and was uh, was a banker for the, uh, uh, the, the, the... The weird thing is, the two players you've mentioned there have been uh, up to up to about the start of yes. December uh, were the bankers for the Fantasy League points. <laughs> and uh, there were two players that both go under the radar and both uh, have a lot of people think that they don't really do much. So whack them in your team and, and you earn points that nobody else is picking up because not many people actually went for them. They were all going for... Uh, David Silva and for Aguero and, and the likes and, and missing out on these points and then kind of December rolls along and they've both kind of gone a little bit quieter now Sterling was uh, against Southampton was a was a lot better and was a lot more involved in the play and actually seemed to be playing with much more of a smile on his face than he has done in recent weeks he seemed a lot happier when uh, as he was playing and him he for me has been is the key to this City team um I, there's, I, I always kind of, uh, with my with my podcast hat on, I always try and, and remain quite neutral. But with my fan hat on, I think um, Raheem Sterling is probably now my favourite player. Um, and he just, we saw it with England in the in the in the World Cup over the summer. When when he's not there, you miss him so much more than anybody else when they're not there uh, for an attacking threat. When we talk about, about Fernandinho not being there and not being able to do that and nobody else being able to do that job, nobody else really does what Sterling does. He's he's so much more intelligent than he gets credit for. He he, he moves a lot better than uh, than he gets credit for. But what people focus on is the fact that he ever that you know he's not very good at shooting and you know yeah. frankly he's not. He you know he, he scuffs quite a lot of efforts. But the number of times where it's his off the ball run that opens opens up space for somebody else to slip inside and get a ball across to uh, to Aguero to pop in the net, or it's him that uh, drifts into the back post because uh, the game's been stretched and he's there for the tapping. You know, the, the, the criticism of him uh, last season was that you get that uh, all the all the goals he was scoring were actually tappings. Well, there was a reason for that, and it's because he kept getting himself into the position to score them after dragging the his defenders all over the place and. I just, I, 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 what I'm enjoying seeing in in this City team is him when City are counter-attacking and he's on the break. He looks so much more comfortable now making the right decision in the moment and being able to pick out whether he should pass or shoot. He became certainly over the winter period last season and at the start of this season he was the single most reliable City player for a goal. And um, you know that the number of last-minute uh, decisive goals he got last season was was incredible. The the one that sticks out for everybody is the is the Southampton one. It was a great strike, mm. uh, but he did it at Bournemouth. He did it at Huddersfield. There was so many that that turned uh, one-all draws into two-one wins, and that was the bedrock of that of that City winning run in uh, in, in the winter that that ultimately won them the league. So I think he's while he has gone off the boil in the last few weeks. Uh, he's played a lot of football, and he, he he's been let's let's not shy away from it. He's been under the media spotlight for the uh, the racist abuse uh, or alleged racist abuse he got at Chelsea. So there's been a lot of pressure on his shoulders, and I think he's handled it really really well, and I think he deserves credit for that. 
No, absolutely. I mean, I think you're sort of, you'll always find um, sort of a variety of opinions on Raheem Sterling when, you, when you're sort of speaking to Liverpool fans. But I think most who sort of have a level-headed sort of view on everything could see exactly how talented that a player he was, especially when he sort of left as well. I think a lot of people saying, oh, he's not going to develop the way he should do it. And, and they particularly highlight the, the finishing. And he does seem to have a weird sort of issue with striking the ball cleanly at times. And at other times, you has know, a complete rocket of a shot but I think it's just like you were saying there the the movement that he uh, is able to provide is 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 really invaluable he's definitely a more intelligent player than people like to give him credit for um, and uh, I think we we saw the start of that when he played in uh, oftentimes a, a false nine role or, or even in the sort of four four two diamond for us um, some of his best games just in really intelligent movements and yeah as you mentioned as well he's somebody who's been under such incredible scrutiny in the media with all that sort of uh, Führer around the alleged racist incident at uh, at Stamford Bridge, and then I thought, yeah, I, I think the way he's handled it and, and the way in which he uh, has uh, has made people now compare that sort of implicit racism within you know, the language of media, etc. That all the reports around him, and then the more uh, explicit forms of racism that you see sometimes at the games. Unfortunately, um, it's it's been it's been invaluable. So I'm sure he's um, he's a lots on his mind in, in recent weeks. So I'm not surprised that he's maybe going off the ball a little bit, but yeah, he's someone we certainly be focusing on uh, on on Thursday night. But um, it, it, to move on to Thursday night then and sort of talk about how you expect uh, Guardiola to approach this. And I think I mean, lots has been made of sort of the record between Guardiola and Klopp and um, you know, the two styles of the football teams as well, ours being sort of the um, alleged sort of kryptonite for you guys in terms of how we like to play and how we, we press far more intensely higher up the pitch. Um, the, the previous game at Anfield, we saw, I thought it was a very strange game, in that we saw a conservative approach from both managers who seemed very reluctant to make any mistakes or lose any ground at all. Um, a different sort of approach that we've seen from Pep. Of course, you could have snatched all three points um, uh, right at the death as well if, if, if Mares tucks that penalty away. But um, I'm, I'm not expecting that sort of cautious approach from, uh, from Guardiola at the Etihad this Thursday. Um, how do you expect him to, to sort of set you guys up for this sort of game, especially considering uh, sort of the dangers of being too open against uh, this Klopp side? I honestly don't know at this stage um, because I think the first thing I'll say about uh, about Guardiola and Klopp is um, it's not necessarily Liverpool's style that, uh, that, that causes problems for City. It is it is to a point, but it also is the fact that Liverpool have got very good players, yeah, and you can't. Uh, you, you, ultimately, when you put in uh, the sort of uh, of style that that, uh, that that Liverpool do, combined with uh, the, the the sorts of players like Mane and uh, specifically Mane and Salah, but Firmino has been uh, uh, a, a, a particular problem for City as well in the past. Um, and City like to kind of invite the, the the opposition on to be able to to press them in order to get that the space down the other end. And when you've got two teams who are kind of wanting to do that and are kind of wanting to open the game up, um, it, it's it, it's often fallen for Liverpool in the right way. And what I'll, what what I mean by that is, um, I don't necessarily think City have been terrible in all of these times where Liverpool have just seemed to to sweep them away. But there's been a lot of I don't want to say good fortune because ultimately Liverpool have deserved the the the, the victories every time they've had them. Um, but you look at some of the goals that have gone in; they've been absolute 
screamers that uh, that had been scored, especially, I mean, you think of the Champions League game at Anfield. Um, Oxlade Chamberlain rattles one Absolutely. in from, what was it, about, about 55 yards, it felt like. Um, and that, I mean, that think back to the Premier League game, you know, that all, was it all four of Liverpool's goals were, were just stormers of strikes? And there's not, it's not, it's not a pressing game that creates that sort of opportunity. It just it feels for that that Liverpool just feel very confident in this fixture and feel that everything that they hit is likely to go in. So they start hitting things and then they go in and then so all of a sudden they start feeling even more confident and the you know the crowd gets up for it and that sort of thing. Um, whereas what, what City do is they tend to go into these games and think, well, Liverpool always, always seem to have this thing where they hit everything and it goes in, so we need to stop them hitting things. And that kind of culminated in uh, in that nil-nil draw at Anfield where neither side really opened the game up because I think Liverpool spotted that it had been, I think it had been, a, I, I couldn't tell you the, uh, the run of fixtures, but I think it had been a tough week for Liverpool to that point. And City were starting to put a run together where... You know, a, a, a victory for the away side in that one would really give them some belief in in terms of a of a title race at that stage. So I think both teams were actually very happy for a point at that stage. And obviously, Mares um, should have stolen the win, but uh, but didn't. And then up until the next kind of, uh, I, I think it's the next international break where everything just seemed to be going. Uh, they were going toe to toe and matching each other. And then City fell apart in December. And when it comes to, for that reason, when it comes to this game, I honestly don't know what to expect from Guardiola. He three nil down in the Champions League last season, and he named a team that was it was I've never seen him name anything that quite that offensive. And he spent the first forty five minutes going right. Well, Liverpool wants to play at one hundred miles an hour. We're going to play at two hundred miles an hour and just really go for it. And I think had City gone in two nil at half time, like they should have done, it, it, you know, it'd probably been a completely different game in the second half. That said, um, it it would be a big risk to kind of open it up a, 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 to do that in uh, in the Premier League game because ultimately that was a that was a one off game, win it or lose it. You know, they, they had to they had to get a result on the night. You don't want to rely on other teams to do your work for you, but there's there's still you know, half a season to go, and it would be it would be daft for City to willfully open the game up to uh, to create uh, space for Liverpool to attack, just because they feel desperate that they need to get something out of the game and they need to win the game. Um, so I, I don't see what I do. I, my 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 instinct says that he'll probably be a bit more uh, cautious than uh, than he than he normally is, and I think if you were to offer him a point at this stage, you'd probably take it. And I I, I suspect the same would be for Klopp, given the distance that's between them at this stage. Um, but that might again play into Liverpool's hands because they might be able to to go there, play conservatively, and then go. Actually, you know what? City have been leaking goals recently. Let's let, let's step it up for the last kind of half hour and see if we can't nick it. And then mm. um, if there's a, if there's a goal late on, City City have, City's biggest problem in the last few weeks has been responding to when they've fallen behind. Uh, if Liverpool score first, then City have got a real problem on Thursday night. Yeah, and I think especially sort of the difference. Uh... The different kind of Liverpool that we've seen this season in terms of the goals conceded and, and, and seeming much tighter at the back than we've previously been. I think in previous encounters with you guys going back a couple of years now, we always had to, we felt we always had to be at 100 miles an hour uh, and sort of create those moments of chaos, like we did in the Champions League. Um, you mentioned the Ox strike as well. All those goals seem to happen in around sort of 20 minute, 15 minute patches of, uh, of, of chaos that we, that we tried to create through being sort of that high, high pressing side that we, we can be, but now it seems to be like we've got a uh, a tap on that, and we can try and release it when and where we think it's uh, 
it's most useful. I, I, I'd expect us. It's be interesting to see Klopp's approach for it because, as you say, because we are tighter at the back now, we can just potentially sit and look to be more cautious and and, and counter where where possible, or we could look to just I guess try and be as intense as possible from the off. It's uh, going to be. Interesting. Well, I mean, from from my point of view, I actually expect Klopp to be a lot more offensive for for this one because. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he might say it is that he's got nothing to lose. If he, you know, the you know, worst case scenario is yeah, that he's still got a four-point lead at the top of the table for uh, at the point where the FA Cup kicks in. So um, there's not a lot for him to lose in in this in at this stage. Uh, and equally, he he will know that City will not be relishing that front three at this stage. You know, they've not City haven't kept a clean sheet in ten games now. Um, they haven't gone longer than ten games in the Mansoor era, so they've, uh, you know, we're, we're talking at least ten years since they've uh, since they've gone eleven games without a clean sheet. Um, and he'll be sent. He, he, I, I fully expect him to come to the Etihad and sense blood because there's uh, there's certainly a massive opportunity for Liverpool, and it's kind of a no lose situation for them where they can go there, have a go, and if they get beat, so what? They've still got a big cushion at the top of the table. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be. Uh, probably a different midfield lineup that we see this time as well. I think in the previous game it was uh, that three of uh, Ginny, Henderson, and, and Milner that we saw quite a lot towards the end of the last sort of season's Champions League campaign when the injuries sort of uh, stacked up a little bit. And whilst it's definitely a functional uh, midfield in terms of they all know their jobs, pressing wise, um, creatively it's just been it's been completely lacking. And and that was something that we felt um, was an issue against you guys earlier in the season. So yeah, we've seen Shakiri come into it. We've seen Fabinho come into it as well. Uh, Cater, I'm sure, some some point during the second half of the season is going to um, sort of realise his potential to a, to an extent as well. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how how Klopp lines up there. I mean, in terms of specific threats, I mean, you mentioned that front three. I mean, they're the obvious threats, and Firmino playing his way back into form as well with that hat trick against uh, Arsenal. It looks like all three of them are ticking along nicely. I mean, would those be, would those be the obvious? Uh, threats that you're most concerned about ahead of the game, or is there is there somebody else you'd like to highlight from from the team? Um, I think there's there's all, I'm always wary of James Milner. Um, I've seen him for for, for City for for years. Yeah. Um, put in the sorts of performances that you know really get the plaudits from the home fans, and but everybody watching just kind of goes, well, he existed and he was there and he didn't do much. But uh, actually, he kind of he, he, what he did was control the game for for City. And um, I've been sensing he's been doing. I've, I've not seen a lot of Liverpool over the last couple of weeks, but I, I've been sensing he's been starting to to kind of get into that role for for Liverpool this season as well. Um, and again, it's it, it, whoever um, Klopp puts wide right, or if, if you know if they're drifting around, whoever is wide right at the time, because City's left side is is currently in crisis, um, and I I really don't see how uh, how Guardiola can solve that problem. Um, this will be like you might. I, I don't remember uh, what uh, what happened in Pellegrini's final season when uh, uh, pretty much every he named his team and pretty much everybody in the uh, in the stadium when they saw that Di Michaelis and Mangala were partnering each other oh, at the yes. heart of defence uh, went well. This uh, there's only way that one way this is going to end. And the only man in the entire stadium who couldn't see what was about to happen was uh, was stood in the city dugout and it just it was an absolute bloodbath. Um, it, we're talking that level of problem for City down their left side. I I really don't know how uh, how Guardiola can can uh, can solve it. The only thing he can try and do is is cut off the supply to the front three. Um, he did it. He tried it in his first season at Barcelona um, uh, for uh, at City when they played away at Barcelona, and uh, he decided that well, you know what, we ain't we ain't going to stop 
uh, Neymar and Messi. So what we're going to do is stop the ball getting into them. And uh, it was working absolutely perfectly up until Claudio Bravo r- r- ran out of his box and, uh, and handled the ball. And oh, they, were, yeah. they, were a man, they were a man down. <laughs> and at that point, City just could not. They, they, they had a man less and they just couldn't press the ball like they were doing. But up to that point, City, they weren't creating much themselves, but they'd, they'd, able to, they'd been able to stifle the supply. Uh, that's probably the only way City are going to stop Liverpool's front three, because if the ball keeps getting to them, then they will create chances and they will score goals. Yeah, I, I'd expect. It'd also, be interesting to see whether we go four-two-three-one as we've been doing in recent weeks. Uh, seems far more effective for us creatively, but that, but that does put Salah as an out and out centre forward. It's, it's been, it's been strange to see him sort of, um, almost play like sort of two thousand eight, two thousand nine Fernando Torres at times. It's, it's, it's very weird to see him sort of change into that role. His performances seem far more complete this season. But I think yeah, you're right in terms of that left side. Seems like it's, it's, it's too obvious an issue for us not to. Yeah, have a plan for it. You'd imagine. I mean, when you're looking at Liverpool uh, this season, obviously loads loads has been made about the defensive record. I mean, where do you look at and think we could potentially get some joy down that side? Obviously, you've got huge quality, so you can always create a create a goal. I'd imagine out of nothing anyway, just based on the quality of the players. But is there a particular thing you look at and think, yeah, we can get some joy if we target that? Uh, the weird thing is, and I'm gonna say that I I, I I'm gonna caveat this with I might sound stupid. Um, but I might sound stupid that like. that that the, the place to target is I think one of the same places that teams should be targeting with City, and that's the goalkeeper. Um, what we what City fans have seen from Edison is this this ultimate real cool ability to take the ball under pressure, pass it through uh, lines of attack, and open up um, uh, an attack for City. And Allison has been doing the same for, for Liverpool this season. You can really see the difference between not having someone like Carrius or Mignolet, who you know yeah. might make a decent save one minute, but they throw it in their own net the next, and someone who actually you know you roll the ball back to them and they're happy to hold on to it. They're happy to be pressed, and they will pick out a teammate while under pressure. Um, one of City's biggest plus points this season has been how well they've pressed, and in the last few weeks they've stopped pressing. And it, it kind of feels like they've not had the energy to be to be chasing everything down. And what's it, what what they've done against Everton was uh, I know Pickford's not in the same league as uh, as Allison or Edison, but uh, one of the things that they were doing with uh, with Pickford was kind of letting him have the ball, cutting off all the avenues of where he could pass it, and then having one player directly run at him, and he'd have to make a decision pretty quickly of where to put it. And that was how City scored their opening goal against uh, against Everton. They had um, Pickford had the ball at his feet. He was he was looking for for somewhere to play it out, and every single one of his options was marked. And what that does is it leaves City really really vulnerable because there's obviously there's no cover if uh, if the ball gets uh, played through all of those lines and uh, it reaches Salah or, or Mane or Firmino, and th- then th- then there's a problem. Um, so they have to be really smart with it. They've got to be. They've got to make absolutely sure that they are cutting off every single avenue, and then they press the goalkeeper. And you, you kind of, you're not necessarily going to get a chance from that, but you might. You might force the ball to go out for a throw-in, or you might force it back to to Edison at the other end with a bit more time. And what that does is it will just. It, if that were to work, it would keep City in a lot more control of the game than uh, than. Um, or it would keep control of the game away from Liverpool, which is obviously one of the uh, the biggest issues that City can face is is um, not having the ball and then being run ragged. 
The problem for City on this front is that's exactly what Liverpool are going to try and do because you know it's exactly the same way to kind of get at City. The both the, the two team style is very kind of similar in that sense, um, and so it, it kind of becomes a game of who holds the nerve the longest, who who is open enough to kind of press as much as they can, but cautious enough not to let that happen the other way. And I think that that'll be the interesting kind of kind of power play in this game. Uh, and the way that the form guide has been going over the last few weeks, it kind of says to me that that City might be a little bit more conservative than than Liverpool will, and that that might play into Liverpool's hands. I'm not sure, uh, but if if it was me in that dugout, I'd, I I honestly I don't know really what I would try and do. You, you, there's there, there's so many kind of ways that Liverpool have improved this season defensively. There's no kind of real one way to to get at them. City's best kind of form, or best way of getting through is those those cute little one-touch passes that they do around the edge of the box. Uh, but we've seen in the last few weeks, they haven't really been coming off. So you, you kind of hope that, A, you've got De Bruyne fit and that he can play alongside David Silva and you've got Fernandinho there to kind of sweep up and offer the, the kind of one-touch mirror pass at the other end. And that might be enough, but if you take one of those cogs out, you take one of those key personnel out, and all of a sudden you, we're getting back to that issue of square pegs in round holes again, mm. and I don't quite fancy it, you know? Yeah, in terms of De Bruyne, I mean, just before we get to, I guess, predictions themselves, I mean, De Bruyne, this injury that he's picked up, I mean, is he is he likely to be fit for, for Thursday, or is it still sort of shrouded a little bit in the mystery? It's very hush hush, which makes me kind of it, ah. it, it, it makes me nervous of one way or the other because it either means that it's another serious one and he's going to be out for a while, or they're kind of keeping the cards close to the chest to, to to not give too much away to Liverpool and what what they might do, and then uh, wham, they spring a surprise and he's there in the starting lineup. Uh, the one thing I will say is that City generally don't lie about their their injuries. They generally don't say, "Oh, such a body is is a doubt," and then. They start the game, play ninety minutes, and and look like they've you know they've never been fitter. What they generally say is if someone's a doubt, that they are a doubt, and if they start the game, they either come off or they uh, or they start from the bench. So it's you know there's City don't really go in for those sorts of uh, injury uh, is he isn't he injury uh, mind games sort of thing anymore. Um, so I, I don't know. It's been described as a knock. Um, make of that what you will. I think. Yeah. No, no. I mean, Liverpool fans are are aware of sort of the own situation where we've had players who have had knocks and then disappeared for, for a couple of months, and people didn't seem to ask questions about it in the press conference. But well, that's that's it. Mendy's currently out with a knock, and he's yes. you know, been out since October. So it's yeah, it's like, what could it, what, what what does it actually mean? You know, mm. tell us what it means. It doesn't mean anything, does it? No, of course, and it would certainly be a hell of a game for De Bruyne to come back into if he was sort of going to be reintroduced into the Premier League following the injury but um, alright then so in terms of sort of putting you on the spot a little bit with, with, with predictions I mean um, if I was to ask you what you're expecting for Thursday night I mean what would you what would you go with? Uh, best case scenario for City genuinely I uh, I don't say this uh, lightly is that I think the best case is that we'll get a draw out of it um, what I we do a charity bet on the uh, Blue Moon podcast so we have to kind of be earnest and honest in what we, what we do because otherwise you know we're trying to win some money for charity and uh, when I had to make the prediction for last Friday's show which is obviously before uh, they, they played uh, Southampton um, my prediction was a 2-0 Liverpool win just because uh, the way City have been playing recently um, it's just set up for Liverpool to go there and, and really put some distance between the two teams I think a lot of City fans are very nervous about this game and with good reason as well 
no, yeah, it, it does certainly seem like it's uh, it's one where we'll be, as you mentioned, have have nothing to lose. So I'm expecting a pretty uh, pretty gung ho approach. But anyway, David, thanks thanks so much for all that insight on City. I mean, I think there's been so much scrutiny on you guys this season in terms of just um, how you've been performing, what the reasons have been around sort of three losses, which is it's, <laughs> it's, it's not a lot to, to really focus on, but I guess you set yourself such ridiculous standards that people are going to try and pick you apart whenever whenever they can. But yeah, uh, really... It's not just that. It's not just that as well, though, because, I mean, you, you're doing yourselves down there because it's it's not a standard City have set this season. It's a standard Liverpool yes, have set yes. so far this season. So uh, three defeats is a problem when you look at a team that's top of the league and unbeaten. So there you are. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think it's... Uh, it's a curse that Liverpool fans have of constantly trying to underplay things whilst we're in this uh, this new terror, this newfound territory, really unbeaten at the top of the league. It does feel a little bit surreal, but um, yeah, we'll see how far it can take us. But yeah, anyway, thanks so much for all that insight, David. And just before we go, did you have anything that you that you did you did want to plug? Sorry. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, if I, I don't I don't know if uh, any of your listeners would uh, would like to um, have a listen to the opposition view after the game, but. Uh, uh, Blue Moon Podcast is out every Friday. If you go into iTunes and you go onto Spotify and everywhere like that, just search Blue Moon Podcast, you'll find us. Uh, we're actually recording this week's show directly after the game. Um, okay. So, it, you know, if it's a big Liverpool win, then you'll definitely want to tune into that one because it will be uh, uh, slash your wrist time. And, uh, and you know, it might might be uh, a nice kind of, uh, I can't think what the word is, schadenfreude uh, experience yeah. for you all. So uh, if it's a big city win, then uh, I, I dare say that it'll be uh, the beers will be out and it'll feel like City are back in a title race, even with that four point difference. So who knows? I would say best of luck, but I don't mean it. So uh... no, exactly, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, I, I think uh, after last night's performance, I, I certainly was uh, was one to dip into Arsenal fan TV just. Just, <laughs> just briefly. So yeah, I'm sure people. Ah, that's be... that's a weekly viewing thing, anyway. So don't say so, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, thanks so much, David. And and, and then we're going to be uh, speaking briefly just to Mark Roberts uh, about Liverpool uh, this uh, this crazy season so far and what he's expecting from Thursday's games. Bringing in uh, Mark to talk Liverpool. I mean, Mark, it's uh, sort of special days at the moment, really. I mean, you're looking at the league table. You're seeing us there with that seven point lead over. Manchester City, you look at the way the results have fallen over this uh, um, festive period for us, uh, you know, the, the relentlessness that we've seen from our own side, of course, because one way to manage that December period is just to win every single one of your games. That's what, that, that's obviously a nice way of sort of dealing with it. Um, but then our rivals sort of faltering uh, either side of us, uh, Spurs' title challenge lasting all of about three days, it seemed. Um, <laughs> I mean... Uh, positive results against Newcastle and then uh, you know, that five-one thrashing um, of Arsenal as well, just j- just dispatching them completely. I mean, j- just to get your sort of your, your your general thoughts on where Liverpool are now as we head into 2019. It's been superb, hasn't it? I mean, obviously it's it's the eight games in December, but it's, is it nine league games now on the bounce yeah. with one, and it's just been. Superb, hasn't it? I think I put a tweet out the other day. I think last season, you think back to when City beat Bournemouth with a very, very late Sterling winner and they just seemed to go on a, an imperious run after that. And you just think parallel universes, that Origi goal against Everson is, and the, the form we've had since then. Just trying to put a bit of comparison, that wishful thinking maybe that it's going to be our season like it was their season last year. That goal, I think, has just proved it's been monumental to our season so far and we haven't looked back since then really and eight games in December to win all eight and to win all eight comfortably really other than 
say the derby where it was the last minute winner, it's been superb. What a time to be a Liverpool fan. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think it's uh, uh, David earlier on, he, he, he'd highlighted things like, um, obviously, you, you know, you, you have to respect the work that's been put in by Klopp, um, the work the work that gets put in by Guardiola in, in assembling these teams, the quality of the players, the quality of the systems, of course, um, and the results are, you know, by and large, uh, quite a lot to do with those, you know, those systems, the work, the quality of the players. But there does... That does strike you that, that, that there's that sense this year that, that, that there's been a number of things that have fallen our way. Um, that Everton goal in particular, I mean, sort of Pickford snatching a, a loss from the jaws of a, a well-earned point in, in probably one of their most sort of, um, measured performances at Anfield that I've seen in recent years. It really, it really did feel like a bigger, big turning point. And then I think in, in, in a bunch of the games, you've just, you, you've seen the ball fall our way. Um, if you, you think about in the Arsenal game as well for Mino, uh, for, for our, for our equaliser, the ball sort of ricocheting perfectly into his path for a no look, for a no look finish. Um, to, to touch on those, those more recent games then, to the uh, Newcastle and, uh, and Arsenal. The Newcastle game, of course, 4-0 win, um, felt very routine. Um, but the, the, the Arsenal, uh, victory, especially considering the fact that we, we, we knew City had dropped points, we knew Spurs, um, uh, were, you know, Looking to put in a challenge of their own. Um, I mean, what did you make of that performance? Because it, Arsenal are, no matter what we want to say, the fifth or sixth best side in this league. They have the Premier League's uh, or joint top goal scorer in their ranks, and uh, he barely had a sniff. Yeah, he barely had a touch. I think they highlighted on match of the day. Nearly half of his touches were from kickoffs. It was. <laughs> It was so quick the the response. Thankfully for for them scorers, who didn't really have the time for it to settle in. That we'd gone a goal behind at Anfield, which was for the first time for nearly a year, wasn't it? Since I think it was Leicester three hundred and sixty four days ago. But it was strange because we didn't even play that well, really. And I mean, it's it's quite easy to say that. And we've I think we've done that a few times this year, where he sort of rested players in game, if you like, and took the foot off foot off a gas and conserved energy that way which which you can comfortably do when you're 4-1 up but we've played a lot better than that I think that's the ominous thing for other teams we just scored the goals at the right time killed the game and then you couldn't have wished for an easier second half really in the build-up to the City games to be 4-1 up against a team that looked quite toothless really against us and with the way we've defended all year there was it was game over a free one, really. Let's be honest. But yeah, to get that fourth goal just just on the stroke of half time with a penalty really killed the game, and we could just control it at our pace, our tempo for the whole second half. Conserve some energy. He could take Mane off quite early and rest him for for Thursday, and just ideal preparation really for. They're all big games, aren't they? But arguably the biggest game of the season away at City to to rest players in game as comfortably as that was perfect, really. Yeah, it was a luxury, really. I think, and um, I think plenty of Liverpool fans had looked at this game against City on the third of January, a long time ago, even before this run sort of established itself. Really, that um, you know, this could be a key clash in the season, and and so it's proven to be. I mean, I don't think many people would have thought at the start of the season that yeah, by the third of Jan, if we beat City, we'll establish a ten point lead, really put a foot on the throat in terms of the um, uh, our pursuit of this elusive. Uh, 
elusive league title. Um, just to focus on the Arsenal game, though, just for a, l- a little bit before we do move on to the City game. Uh, uh, there's been so many impressive performances over the past month and, and, and throughout the season. You know, Van Dijk being highlighted, Allison being highlighted rightly. Um, Firmino from this game, obviously taking the headlines with that hat-trick and, and, and great to see him coming back to form. Be good to get your thoughts on that. But one player who stood out to me incredibly as, uh, as well and the fact that he came off early I'm guessing indicates that he's going to be uh, you know, starting uh, against City on the third. Ginny Wanyaldum, I mean, this is a player who, at the start of the season, I think many people were wondering whether he'd even be here by you know, the end of January. Such was sort of the rumours around his future. I mean, what what did you make of him in that game against Arsenal and um, j- just how he's managed to, amidst all these signings that come in in midfield, uh, and the captain as well, who you know, started the game on the bench, how he's managed to establish himself as a, as a first-choice starter in this team? I think that you've nailed it there, first-choice starter. I think the midfield is obviously where we've seen the most change, the most rotation, the the front three are the front three, as we all thought they would be. Robertson's a shoo-in at left-back, Van Dijk's a shoo-in. Even before the injuries, we sort of had the the Gomez to right-back and Lovren or Matted coming in. But that's been a fairly stable defence. But the one midfielder that's been the consistent, if you like, has been Ginny Wijnaldum and... Undeservedly so. I think he's been certainly our best midfielder this season and up there with one of our best players this season. And there was a time where maybe he looked less comfortable depending on who he was playing with. But now it just he just seems so comfortable, whether it's with Henderson and Milner, whether it's with Fabino and Shakiri, whether it's with Fabino and Cater. It doesn't seem to matter who he plays or if he plays as the six or if Fabino's there and he plays slightly more advanced. He just seems so comfortable in the system now. And he, as you say, he was stuck off early. Surely that's in mind for City. And if you're asking me to pick a team for City, I could probably pick nine. Would if be I asked you to pick four. a midfield, I mean, I mean can, could you pick a midfield for this game? I, I think he will go with Henderson, Fabino and Wijnaldum. That's what I think he will go with and be a bit more conservative rather than Shakiri starting. I think he would want the Shakiri weapon off the bench. Not a certain where Cater is with his fitness and with the, after coming back from an injury, he didn't really get he didn't get any minutes to the against Arsenal at all. So you wouldn't have thought he would start, but it could have been that he was just saving him for City. But going now from what he's done in the past in the big games with Milner being injured as well, I think it would be Fabino Henderson and Wijnaldum as the three he would go with, but. With no certainty, I could, I could say that if it was to be one, it would be Wijnaldum will play with with two others. I think that's testament to how well Wijnaldum's done all season. And as you say, that's been in in different roles in the midfield. He's been asked to do. He just looks so comfortable, and he can do everything. And I was I was doubly I was delighted for Bobby to get his hat trick, his first hat trick in his career. But I had Solar as my fantasy captain, so I wanted him to take it. And I think. <laughs> And I think if he didn't get the hat trick, I say more plaudits would have been given to Ronaldo. I think he was superb, and that's probably where obviously Arsenal have got Aubameyang, who, as you said, was the joint top scorer. But the way Torreira has been playing for Arsenal, that's arguably where they've been strongest this season. And they didn't get a sniff in midfield. He was he was everywhere. He did everything. And as you say for now, for me, he is the the one constant midfielder that we should be playing every game. And then. You can rest and rotate Henderson, Fabino, Keita, Shakiri alongside him, and he's comfortable in in any of the roles he plays. And it, it goes unnoticed, I think, by 
by other fans, by other clubs, how important he is to what we do. But Klopp obviously trusts him. He trusts, he's been there a few years now. He trusts him on the field to do whatever job is asked of him. He, he seems comfortable in numerous roles and long may that continue. No, for sure. And I, and I think one thing people sort of probably underestimate as well is I remember that when that story came out about uh, uh, the team selecting new captains whilst Henderson and Milner were both out injured and, the, and they obviously did a vote within the squad um, on who they wanted. And Van Dyke won that. Um, but second, I think, in that in that vote was Ginny Wijnaldum, which, which I, I think it probably just tells you quite a lot about how he's regarded within this squad. I mean, when I speak to rival fans and uh, fans who, who've who just been watching us this season and they see Ginny as a constant there in the team, they do actually ask me, wait, do you guys... Do you guys like Wanyard? Yeah, yeah, yes. Everyone likes Ginny. Everyone knows what Ginny's doing. He's been he's been integral this season. So I don't think that's even it's even really resonating with people too much outside. So it's quite a nice sort of secret weapon we have in these big games. Um, one thing I want to touch about on the midfield a little bit is we've seen Henderson uh, in in recent weeks along, alongside Lalana a little bit as well adopt this new role at times where yeah he's not started some big games perhaps that you would have expected him to start. Um, and I'm thinking of the uh, uh, Arsenal game at home, of course. I, th- I think it was the United game as well at home that he did start. Yeah, he was on the bench at home to United, and... which you wouldn't have thought of a few months ago that that would have happened. Club captain and no, of course, to yeah. play him in all the big games, but now do you think he's he has not this... playing. Yeah, do you think he has this new role? Because I, cause I'm seeing, I, I'm, I'm not suggesting it's a, it, it, it's a permanent thing, but I'm just seeing that... Um, when he ha- when he has come on later on in these games for sort of twenty five thirty minute patches cameos, um, he's playing further up the pitch, and we're seeing a little bit of a return to the Henderson that we sort of were familiar with in the thirteen fourteen season, where we can use that energy that he brings and, and that intensity that he brings to press people high up the pitch rather than have to worry about you know, him playing in a, uh, the number six perhaps that he's not always been too comfortable with. I think so. I think it's in a maybe a less subtle way, more like what Klopp did with Fabino, and that he kept him out of the team and out of the limelight for a while until he was comfortable with it. I think that's sort of what he's been doing with Henderson as well, with his role changing. That he hasn't started. I know he started a lot of the big Champions League games, and we went back to the the, the flat three, if you like, of Henderson, Ronaldo, and Milner. But by not playing him in as many games and by slowly introducing him to this, it's building him up to a new role because there's, there's been quite a few changes, hasn't there, with, with the midfield, with Bobby's changing from the, the nine to the ten, if you like, and it's it has took time to settle and to gel, but the last few weeks it seems that everybody is becoming more comfortable, more familiar with their new roles and we're clicking and we're benefiting from it, but I think it is interesting that he has been coming on for these cameos to build up and then when he started, like, there's no easy games in the Premier League and all the usual cliches, but like the Wolves game where he started, he, he started in more of those games where maybe he'll have more more time on the ball and to adapt to that role rather than the high-pressure big games in the league. Maybe that's just my thoughts on it, that he's building him up slowly to this new role. And even when he's played with, when Aldham, he's been Henderson's, they've been interchanging and Ginny's been dropping into the six as well. So if we're, unsure of what's going to happen opposition managers must have no idea even when they see the team sheet and whatever midfield free clock chooses for Thursday Pat won't know who's going to play what role and how to overcome that until five ten minutes into the game and even then 
the flexibility we have at the moment, it seems to be changing in-game as well. No, for sure. I mean, I, I was about to say, I mean, the the players that we've been, we've been playing of late and the system that, we, that we've been choosing to use is a 4-2-3-1, but often a 4-2-2 in terms of just going forward and just a huge amount of flexibility, really, um, in terms of players moving around, uh, you know, switching sides, um, uh, rotating as a sort of uh, centre forward in the system as well. Um, so just to move on to the actual game itself and against City, uh, Mark, I mean, uh, the first question I have is, is just just what have you made about all the discussion around the title race and the pressure and, and will the pressure tell on Liverpool? Is the pressure telling on on City as we saw them drop points over 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 December when they had to play after we'd already played, you know, established a lead? It's a different feeling for them. I was speaking to David about how it's a different challenge for a Guardiola side to not be front runners but to be chasing a side that they can see has. Uh, has been relentless, and also you know, going into this game knowing that this is a side that have had their number on a, on a, a number of occasions. Yeah, it's all the, the interviews that the players are giving. They're all saying the right things, aren't they? They're all making the right noises that they're not really talking about. That they're just taking it game by game. And Klopp's been there and done it. I think they, they highlighted on BT Sport after the game that he's done it with Dortmund with a big lead going into the new year and being behind in the new year. So he's experienced it both ways. Milne was obviously quite experienced. But on Dykes had the success at Celtic and they're all making the right noise and saying the right things. Obviously, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors and they might all be as excited as we are. And rightly so. It's it's a great time to be a Liverpool fan, but they do seem to be the ultimate professionals at the moment, taking it game by game, keeping their feet on the ground and just relentlessly, ruthlessly doing the task that's in front of them, looking solid at the back, comfortable and just going for the kill at the right time, getting the goal and then controlling the game and conserving the energy. So at the moment, it all seems to be going very swimmingly. Of course, that could could change with a defeat as it seemed to do for City. They were neck and neck with us, ahead of us. They lost that game to Chelsea and then the wheels sort of fell off. So you're wary of, of something similar happening to us if and when we do lose, hopefully we don't and we do go unbeaten. But I suppose that would be the next test if we were to lose a game, how we respond and recover to that. But at the moment, everybody seems to be singing from the same hymn sheet and all pushing in the right direction. No, certainly. I think it does It does strike you that everyone has the right mentality. In Klopp's press conference answers, where he's, he's, he said that... that uh, um, the team were aware of the Spurs result ahead of the Arsenal game and he, he didn't see a single smile in the dressing room. That's the sort of steely stuff you want to hear, isn't it, really, around the dressing room. And you can imagine, just based on what you see from the likes of Virgil, Milner, that they are there keeping this uh, keeping this team grounded, and especially what I've seen from Mo this season as well. He's looked all business, and you know this is about this is about winning this league. It looks like they're all head down, focused on it. Um, Definitely, especially when Mo, like you say, there's the odd. He's not celebrating goals like he was, and he doesn't look happy. I think it's just that he's focused, he's determined, and the job isn't done. So it's just yeah, roll your sleeves, carry on, get the job done, and and then make a song and a dance of it. It's, they all seem the consummate professionals at the moment. And in terms of how we how we could approach this game, I mean, I was speaking to David earlier on, and, and, and he said that um, he wouldn't be surprised if he, if Klopp actually went for this one a little bit more, because in terms of who has the most to lose here, it's still in City's court, really. I mean, obviously we had we had that cushion 
the worst case scenario, if, if if we were to lose this game, of course, um, would be that yeah, we'd be we'd be four points um, ahead of our nearest rivals in the league, um, having played them home and away. Um, but the best case scenario, of course, is that we we establish a ten point lead, um, and we we really send an even more sort of psychological message to them that you know, we. We're going to win this league, but we're also going to beat you in the process at your at your own ground. Um, so, how do you expect Klopp to approach it? Because obviously, the, the the previous game at Anfield was was a very very cautious affair. Yeah, I think he likes his sort of redemptions, doesn't he, Klopp? And obviously, we did go over and win in the Champions League, but I think it will still be hurting the five 0 defeat there in the league last year. And I know there was the Mane sending off, and we were well in the game until that's sending off so I think he'll sort of want to put that that wrong right if you if you like and I think they they will come out to try and win this game now I think if their results had gone differently we almost both would have shook hands on a on a nil-nil and both take our point and move on especially after the amount of games that have been played recently I think they can't really afford to do that now they have to come out and win and that seems to be when we're at our best, most ruthless when teams come out onto us and we can counter them and, and go for them then. And it's going to be such a tough game. I was disappointed to see Fernandinho and David Silva back yesterday. I think they're a completely different team with Fernandinho in, in the team than not. You just, as the Liverpool fan in your hopes that coming back from an injury playing yesterday, he's, he'll be tiring and won't be the Fernandinho that's been so effective for City and that there might be a bit of room there but there's no mistake in their quality they will come at us and try and try and beat us I don't I don't think Klopp's the type of manager to go and set up for a point I think all the players are saying they want to win every game and and what a market would put down if we do win it but as you said even if the worst case scenario happened and we did lose we're still four points clear of them in January and everybody would have took that at the start of the season. Uh, possibly one of the factors to consider is, is it nine, ten days then until the next league game? Yeah. The yeah. game after is the FA Cup, so you won't really want to, you can't put the wrong right straight away after that. So if we could go there and beat them, as you say, ten points clear there, they've then got nine, ten days to sit and stew on that. But at the same time, if unfortunately we, we come unstuck, we've then got to wait nine, ten days until we can get our next league game and, and get straight back on the wheel. So it's a fascinating game, isn't it? How they, how they both approach it. I don't think it's it's more vital to them. I don't think it's a must-win for that for us. It's a must-win for them. At the same time, it's almost not even a must-not-lose for us because of the cushion that we've got. It wouldn't be a disaster if we lost. Obviously, we wouldn't want to, but I don't think it would be an ultimate disaster if we lost, we would still have a four-point cushion and then that's one of your trickiest aways left and we've only really got United and Everton away to play then as a tough away game. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, it's, it's seemingly an ideal scenario here because I, I, I think we should be able to approach this game with, with, with five days in between, of course, you know, to, to really plan to rest, to recuperate with a lot of freedom, really. I mean, the players can go there, express themselves, know they've got this lead um, and and know that just just the way in which they play has so often proven to be kryptonite for this city team. Um, and this is a, a, a city team of where the, where the key players have only just come back from injury, um, and and their form. Let's face it, it's it's, it's been shaky. So it's it's definitely going to be a very intense clash, I think. But after that game, as you mentioned, you're Brighton away, Palace at home, Leicester at home, 
uh, and West Ham away, Bournemouth uh, at home. It, 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 these are games that you, you think are very, very winnable based upon how we've been performing so far, of course. Um, Definitely, and it seems like they're, they're shaky at the back at the moment. Obviously, Walker got quite a, a shoo-in on Twitter for his performance. Yeah. In the, it's the left the back, Palestine. apparently, though. He, he, it's hasn't, the he hasn't played. Yeah, Delft's out, Mendy's out, so Zichenko, forgive my pronunciations, yeah, come in. Stone seems to have he had to go into midfield to cover for Fernandinho. Company played the other day, so there just seems some uncertainty at the back for them at the moment. And we seem to have clicked is the wrong word. We've been ruthless and efficient all season, but the front three all scoring against Arsenal. That's nine goals in our last two games. It seems potentially that we're playing them at a good time, that they're shaky at the back, just as our forward players are, are really, really hitting top, top form. And if there is uncertainty, who they're going to play at centre-back. Walker's been out of form and out of the team. Left-back, they haven't got a settled person there. So it seems like if we want to go for it, the opportunity will be there to go for it. No, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have to admit, Mark, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited. I, I, I've, I've been keeping the handbrake on, really, in terms of expectations. But if, if, we, if, if we win this, I'm, 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 not sure, I'm not sure where I'll be. But... Just to wrap things up, then, just want to get your prediction for the score. But ahead of that, also, if you could go, if you could go front to back for me in terms of what team you're expecting, um, yeah, I think that probably a nice way to tie things up. I think the front three is is the front three. It it would be interesting to see where he plays the front three because even in the Champions League game last year, it was the four three three, but Mo was in the middle and Bobby was on the flank with Mane. So it'd be interesting to see. If he does similar there, obviously most played central most of the season in this four-two-three-one. We've been playing, and even probably up until the United game, it seemed that it was going back to the four-three-three for the big games rather than the four-two-three-one. But he seems now more settled on that. But I just think for City away, it will be back to more of a three. So I think it would be when Alden, Fabino, and Henderson more of a solid three, if you like, and then have Shakiri and Keita and. Lalana has options off the bench and the back four will be the back four. That's basically what we've got fit and available. So Trent, Lovren, Van Dijk and Robertson and obviously Alisson in goal. I don't know, I was speaking to Gav earlier this morning. I've just got a feeling we're going to turn them over. I think it's going to be a 2-0 win to Liverpool. I've just got this sneaky feeling that it's all falling in our favour. Say they're, they're a bit shot defensively and Bobby scoring his hat the other night will doing the world of good. He's got a good record against City and Mo will be hungry for more. He gave up his opportunity for a goal worth giving the penalty away. So I think he'll want to put that right. And yeah, 2-0 to Liverpool. Clean sheet. You got the clean sheet. Well, very, Absolutely. very interesting. Um, I'm going to go for a 3-1, I think. I think that, I think that they, they could grab a goal. Just, I mean, just based on just the sheer quality that they have. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to afford them that, although we do have this ridiculous record. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think we'll have too much and I think we'll overwhelm them. Um, and I, I think it, it could even end with sort of a, 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 a 10 minute patch where we're as comfortable as we seem to be towards the end of the Arsenal game, which could be really, um, really dispiriting for them, but uh, anyway, it's, it's a huge encounter. Everyone's very much looking forward to it. And, and Mark, thanks so much for for coming on and providing your insight in terms of just uh, celebrating the uh, the moment that we're in at the moment with Liverpool, of course. And uh, thanks to Dave Mooney, uh, Dave Mooney earlier on as well for all the insight on City. But thank you to everybody who's listened to the Premier League preview this year, 2018. This is the last one of the year. 
and of course and uh, uh it's been a hell of a year for the reds let's face it really and uh, it's a, a hell of a way to end it so um hopefully we'll, we'll be starting off 2019 in 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 the right manner and picking up that win against city but we'll, we'll be back again shortly and uh, yeah thanks so much for listening Podcast Network.